Welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Okay, so I'm here with Rob DeAuria today. Welcome to the podcast, mate. Thank you for having me, Jeremy. It's been a while. It's a pleasure seeing you again after all these years. Yeah, that's right. It's, uh, I, I think we've been working out the last time we met in person. It's definitely been a before 2009, but I distinguishedly remember you 2009 conference in Vegas because of the what you were doing there. It was Storage Point, right? You were working for at the time. Yeah, it was uh, so Blue Thread, and our the product we had was uh, we we built Storage Point, which was kind of the, the first and leading kind of SharePoint EBS provider, and shortly after that, RBS provider. Uh, you know, for externalizing blobs from the uh, so SharePoint funny. contact databases. It's really funny that those words were just so top of mind for me as an architect in Australia for so long. And now it's like I've not repeated the words RBS, remote blob storage and external blob storage. for External blob storage, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't obviously come up very often now because it's not a thing in M365. That's right. Thank you for coming on the show. And uh, it's always nice to have someone that's been in this ecosystem for so long because you kind of understand the, the journey we've all been on either as developers in the space or in, in your case, you know, being an ISV partner and selling to the customer base of M365. You, you probably listened to a few of these partner success sh- series shows already, but uh, the, the way we always start these is just kind of introducing yourself first of, you know, who you are, what company you work for, uh, and then we'll kind of jump into a few more questions more specifically around the product and your journey with that product. Name is Rob Dioria. I've been... As Jeremy noted, long time in this ecosystem. Started actually doing development around SharePoint back in 2003. I uh, was working for a company that was doing, you know, big box BCM, BPM implementations around FileNet and IBM Content Manager. And I was kind of looking at SharePoint. I was like, it's not quite there, but the bones are there. So we, we kind of spun up companies, uh, a company called Blue Thread, started building some additional capabilities partnered with the Knowledge Lakes and the K2s um, and the Nintexes to kind of round out a, a more complete offering. Uh, as part of that, I was the, the chief technology officer. We we built Storage Point, got you know, an innovation award, did some really cool stuff after that. You know, fast forward to 2019, got together with a couple of my former buddies from K2, founded a company called Kudzu, and together we've developed a, a patented uh, SaaS offering called Kudzu. Uh, I'm the, the chief technology officer and one of the co-founders for that company. So, What was the <laughs> explanation of the name Kudzu? It's a good, that's actually a really good question. We, it, it gets asked almost every time, what is a Kudzu? If you're not from like the southeast of the United States or Asia, you have no idea what Kudzu is um, for the most part. So my two business partners live down in Atlanta. We're down in Atlanta kind of talking about how we're going to start this business. And, and you know, one of the, the conversation of what are we going to call it came up. And within a minute of that or so, Ron was complaining about all the kudzu vines that were invading his his yard. And I looked at him and I said, I think that's like a perfect name. It's five letters. It's easy to remember. And it, and to some extent, it describes the, you know, kind of sprawl and, and you know, documents within forms within an organization that we're, we're trying to solve with the platform. So it's it stuck. And that's where the, the name came from. I like those yeah. kind of stories. It's, it's yeah. Like when you can find out the origins of it all. 
what what is the product uh, that you've built and and how does it benefit the Microsoft 365 user base that Yes, yeah, so we, we started out being all, you know, K2 guys. Uh, we started out with the K2 on the, the writer's side. So K2, prior prior to, you know, Nintex acquiring them, we're still very friendly with with the, the leadership and the, and the product management folks there. So our, our initial goal was InfoPath to K2, right? Be able to lift right. an InfoPath form out, out of an existing, you know, environment, crack it open, break it apart, you know, distill it, if you will, down into kind of a model that we can then turn into a K2 smart form. That was actually resonated with with a lot of customers because you know K2 right. was obviously obviously a very robust form platform could handle some of the more complex forms. There was ways to take repeating sections and kind of synthesize them in in a K2 smart form without a lot of over engineering. But then it became pretty evident, evident to us pretty quickly as we're talking to customers. It's like, well, what about Word documents? What about Excel spreadsheets? I have 10,000 PDFs. So the, the, it became very clear very quickly that we had a much larger opportunity and we started building out kind of a, a connector framework, a more robust uh, recognition engine that could handle unstructured form sources. So, you know, InfoPath's kind of messy but it's structured, right? There's there's a structure to it. We we can easily identify inputs. We can easily identify fields, rules, things of that nature. You get like a static PDF. There's nothing, right? I just have I just have lines, boxes, circles. Maybe there's some ballot box symbols that are checked that you know somebody used for a checkbox, and and text. So there's there's nothing about it that describes you know explicitly where somebody has to enter in a piece of data and even what that piece of data is. So we had to build a recognition engine that could look at a unfilled static PDF and say, that's a text input. This label next to it, this text around it describes it. We're gonna use that to build a schema and an input context and a layout. We're gonna, and, and oh, by the way, we're gonna take all of that information and build all the accessibility metadata around that input so we can make this form not only convert it to a power app or a k2 smart form in text automation cloud whatever we can also make it wcag you know 2a compliant it's really clever how long have you been in market with the product like you mentioned a bit about ip so i imagine there was a fair bit of development done before you publicly with the product we announced availability of the product at the uh 365 educon event in Vegas last year, last April. Uh, we started onboarding MVP customers in May. Many of those converted to paying customers. We spent a lot of time you know, last year getting you know, technology partners. So we expanded our technology partnerships. We're doing, we we went beyond just K2 with Nintex and now we support their, you know, their automation cloud, their, their cloud offering. We support um, Skybo. Uh, Lightning Forms, which is uh, a product from 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 Brett and, and company at, at Lightning Tools. Um, we have support for Jigs, which is a, a mobile platform that was headed is is started up by a lot of the XK2 folks. You know, Adrian Von Wick is there, Glenn Bryant's there, Park, you know, uh, Dennis Parker. It's the old group um, yeah. starting. You know, Grant Dickinson's there as their as their CTO. So we're having fun working with them, and and not only building these really robust and, and just really beautiful, like you should, you should check their stuff out, really beautiful uh, mobile experiences, you know, for the customers, 
we've built out these kind of multi-experience or hybrid um, scenarios where you can take an old InfoPath form, author it as a power app, and then say, I don't really like the mobile experience that that I get in power apps. So I also want to take build a fully scaffolded, you know, jigs mobile solution from for my mobile users. So and then we can then we can wire that jigs app back up to a dataverse, you know, tables, SharePoint list. So now I've got one solution, multiple experiences with completely different low and no code platforms that are all talking and communicating, you know, to the same back end. That's really neat. I mean, obviously, strategically, you know, people listening who maybe not been in the space long, uh, but for us old, old guys, the InfoPath uh, is on a deprecation wing. Do you want to just explain a little bit about that? And I assume a lot of the reason the business kicked off was because of that notion of this deprecation day, right? It was certainly a starting point for us, right? We, we perceived an opportunity around PDFs, but it was very clear that the ticking clock around InfoPath, right? Microsoft announced it in 2016. The original announcement, I think, was set to have it expire in 2021. They got pushed back. They extended it to 2026. So basically a 10-year end of life. It would continue to be supported in new versions of, of SharePoint on-premises and, and, and online. But we started hearing a lot of I guess people were getting nervous, right? So in 2019, 2020, the problem amplified. Customers were starting to actually look at it. They're saying, okay, I got five, six years left. We need to start looking at this. They start scoping out these efforts and they realize that they have a massive problem. And and they're trying to figure out how they're going to move this large volume of forms to Power Apps, Nintex, or some other platform that the, the, the prescribed the prescription being from Microsoft, move it to Power Apps, recognizing that there'd probably be a significant refactoring exercise that would have to happen because you're moving from a platform where a lot of people kind of engineered workflow into the form, right? They, they had a form, you know, they kind of built these massive forms where that were essentially just these large state machines. So if, you know, this value is set or this box is checked, this is the experience I want them to see. Once this happens, approve this, do that, then they see a completely different experience. This stuff becomes read-only or disabled um, versus saying, I'm going to break that into more discrete parts and surface those discrete parts at different steps in a, you know, in a structured workflow. Um, so there, there, there's kind of this, I can't just take what's there and convert it always. I, I need to kind of break it apart and make it match kind of the, the, the patterns and practices of the platform that I want to move it to. Those are arguably an outlier. So the, the, the good thing that we've seen, the, the, the positives in the, in the past year or so, in really working with customers, getting our free, free tool out there so they can scan and, and analyze their environments. And, we, they, and most times they share that information back with us is what we're seeing is the forms that are deployed are a lot simpler than customers thought they were and can be converted most cases 90 to 100 percent right to just just moves over we can translate the, the data the, the schemas we don't have to do these big heavy migrations if it's sitting on top of a sharepoint list we can do that migration in place we don't have to crack open a bunch of xml documents in a form library and and do all the heavy lifting around that there's that still happens but it's it, it represents a fairly small surface area in the overall you know population of forms that are out there 
It's really neat. I, I like the fact you, you know, the business model of having the scanner first and then uh, having the actual tool to kind of show the prob- how big the problem is for the customer, how small the problem is. For the dev audience listening, I'm guessing to access those things, are you using like the SharePoint REST APIs to get, obviously to get at the SharePoint server stuff? So when you were pointing to SharePoint Online to look for them, did you just use SharePoint REST in the SharePoint Online experience as well, rather than like re- recode to graph just because it was an SPO? Correct. Yeah. So we're, we're making heavy use of, of the, the SharePoint REST APIs, the Dataverse REST APIs. When, we, when we're talking about Power Apps, we're using a lot of Power Apps APIs too to identify environments, figure out what's con, you know configured and available from a connector uh, perspective. So when we scaffold these solutions, they're, they're set up to where somebody just really just has to take them, open them up in the maker experience, and they're fully configured and, and ready to go. It'd be nice if the Connector, the connectors weren't first person, like, you know, right right now, if we could talk to the SharePoint, somebody's SharePoint connector and their tenant, we could do a full, like really a full scaffolding and, and deployment of a solution. Is there still a delegated flow, the the end user of the form needs to go through to consent because you can't do Correct. application flow? Yeah. I can't create a connection on their behalf because it's all first yeah. person, first party. Yeah, yeah that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense why it's there. It's just it's one of those things. But we get around it by we, we have a very um, robust SharePoint connector that can be orchestrated with other connectors. So the Power App connector can, can say, hey, I need this information from SharePoint or I need you to create a list on my behalf. So my Power App will you know, have a place to put its, its forms and it can enlist that SharePoint connector to do that work. So we can get a lot uh-huh. of the same we can get a lot of the same information by going through the standard SharePoint REST APIs yeah. versus having to have that, you know, kind of first party access to the uh, Power Platform based connectors. And I'm assuming if you're able to create Power Apps on the fly like that, that would, I mean, I would take it that the APIs are mature in that space now from the Power App side and, you know, build those forms dynamically than maybe when they first launched that product. Correct. Yeah. So the, the we went the first time we we kind of did a POC. So we you know, first thing was can can we actually build a power app? You know how complex right. is the model? How well does our model, which is JSON based, to translate to that model? And it translates actually extremely well. But between doing that first POC and then revisiting it to productize it, they changed the model on us. Right. <laughs> but but there, there, we haven't seen any significant changes you know, to the model other than, you know, new versions of like the control templates and things like that. The the, the method of construction is is remained pretty consistent over the past, you know, 12 or 18 months. And at the beginning, you introduced it as a SaaS product, which I guess surprises me because for something like this, traditionally in our ecosystem, those would have been things you run on the desktop on a machine. But I'm guessing if you've got a customer with a thousand InfoPath Thorms, it probably isn't one person on one desktop machine doing this work. There's probably a team of people. So SAS makes right. sense. Yeah. And there's also the, the idea of, of preserving the models for, for future preference. So you think of a scenario right. where I have an app deployed, say it's a power app, and I want to augment that for a specific experience, a specific channel, a specific role of persona that maybe the power platform doesn't handle particularly well. But there's a partner offering or another low code or low or no code platform that does. I can come back into my my Kajuta and push it through that that new connector. Or, you know, Microsoft 
you know, 10 years from now, five years from now, whatever says, here's super duper power apps. And <laughs> they've got the model for that form still sitting in their, their Kudzu vault. We build the super duper, you know, power app connector. They don't have to do this, this lift, this manual lift, assuming makes the assumption that Microsoft doesn't provide them with a, you know, some kind of click through migration, you know, from one platform to the other. Yeah, that's really clever. I, I love the idea of having that almost like an open standard form that works, interoperates with all the other different partners out there. It's clever. From a cloud side, what were some of the learnings you had going through that? I mean, obviously, you've been in this industry for a while. Are you a single cloud? Are you just running that SaaS on Azure? And Yeah, yeah, we're, we're 100% on Azure. Um, it's all headless, all containerless. Um, we could... We can't support hybrid scenarios. So if a customer in like a financial services space or the government space says, hey, I need this, you know, running in my cloud, it's easy for us to lift that entire thing. We also have the ability to externalize certain processes. So if a customer says, all right, we look at the conversion of a form, an info path form as internal, right? It's not restricted, it's not confidential. There's no PHI, PII being exchanged, you know, thumbs up, but if we want to do migration of the data, we're going to have to go through a much deeper, you know, security view. Are you SOC two compliant? Blah blah. You you know the you know the process. You've been there. It's painful. What we can do is we we can actually run that entire thing in their cloud. Um, we can store models. We can store data sets in their in their cloud. They can point our platform at containers and and services in in their own Azure tenant. And it's worked out well for us. I mean, that's where we started. That's where we intended to stay. And then Microsoft uh, invited us to participate in the, um, the startup founder hub, uh, which, yep. which gave us a sizable allotment of, of Azure credits. So our Azure spend has been nothing for better part of a year. That's helped us a lot divert the, those monies elsewhere, largely in, you know, partner and customer success. Yes, um, I appreciate you being so open to sharing those things. We had a few partners on that have shared similar stories of the notion of you know, a multi-tenant SaaS offering, but that there are demands for various different reasons to have that thing be able to be dropped into a customer's tenant. And so the way for people listening is like, try and do that architecture up front and don't do it later because forking off code bases to handle that later, it can get really ugly as a product group. Correct. You mentioned about the Startup Founders program and and so forth, which is a rebrand of... It changed between the time they, they reached out to us and the time we actually signed up. And I don't, but it was something before that, too. Yeah, um, and the name escapes me. What other benefits did you find through that program as a, as a partner there? I mean, obviously, the Azure credits and so forth are definitely yeah, beneficial. Yeah, yeah, the credits are huge. The, the really valuable stuff, not that, not that that's really valuable, that's huge. The, the, the less tangible stuff, access to Azure Architects. So we, we've had, you know, multiple interactions with, with that team, you know, just talking through different scenarios, uh, largely around, you know, security, right? Are we, are we building this thing the right way to the best possible security posture possible, right? We're going to mm-hmm. be a SaaS offering. We could potentially be handling, you know, sensitive or restricted information for a company, for a third party. Does, does it make sense the way we're doing this? So there's a lot of those conversations. Um, they, they also have, as you get to kind of the, I forget what it's called. I mean, it's not, it's not ramp. I think it's the grow phase. You have access to the mentor network. So this is people within uh, Microsoft, 
This is other founders that have gone through the this, this, the, the program. And, you know, the, the availability of, of those folks to kind of talk through different things. It doesn't even have to be about the technology, right? It's nothing to do where we're talking about partner success, customer success, demand generation. How are you building awareness? What are you doing, you know, with, with LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter? Um, those, mm-hmm. those conversations have, have been valuable as well. And then there's just a lot of information, startup uh, related information, you know, blog posts that are shared uh, by different folks, uh, videos. Again, there's, there's a lot there. Um, they, they, they put a, a value on it that's largely based on the, the credits and the, the support that you get, but they, it's, it, you, you can't put a value on some of the, the, the access to the architects, the access to you know, other mentors and, and folks, you know, thought leaders within Microsoft. So that's, that's been hugely valuable as well. Yeah, that's awesome. I appreciate you sharing that. We haven't gone into that too much on these episode series yet, so that's good to hear that. You know, someone who's been on both sides of it, kind of access is, I mean, it's golden, right? You know, you've been in since May, you used the event to kind of launch the product awareness-wise. How are you leveraging, as a SaaS product, I'm assuming there's opportunity for you to be in the various marketplaces that Microsoft has to raise awareness. Which ones are you in and, and how have you found that for you as a business? We haven't put ourselves in any of those yet. Um, not yet. Not there yet. Um, that's we have that on our to-do list for this year. So we're 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 launching a Kunzi for SharePoint product. So we'll get that into AppSource. There's obviously you know Azure marketplaces that we can leverage, you know, for awareness. We just spent a lot of time last year with trying to build awareness with our technology partnerships. Nintex being one of the big ones. We wanted to be able to take advantage of their so they, they have a big program to uh, in, in play currently to upgrade existing customers. So they have 15,000 or something customers that are largely using their, their on-premises offerings. They have a huge upgrade program to get those folks into their, their cloud offering. And, you know, we've positioned ourselves to be a you know, pretty, pretty big part of that, a big, big part of the message, big part of the solution. And we saw that because of the relationships we had, the history we had with with the folks at K2 and with Nintex, we thought that that was like the best place for us to invest a lot of time and energy from an awareness perspective. But we do have, there is an appetite on our part to, to invest a lot of money and, and time in our Microsoft relationship this year, both at the you know corporate level and the field, building awareness through the different marketplaces that are available to us. It's just not something that we, felt we can't we had the bandwidth to invest in last year you know it's a very i mean obviously you've been in this space for a while and like building a good network with other partners that are in the ecosystem i think is a really good strategy and obviously the product you've picked it maps very very closely with the other people in that kind of business process form space but you are doing other things that may be not related um, having that partnership and tapping into their customer bases and their partner channels is a really good way to kind of accelerate through. So, um, you know, it's something else to the mind as well as, as people are thinking about building products in this space. Exactly. We, we always ask on the show, what would you like to see Microsoft doing more of that could help you with your own success as a product on some of our Microsoft 365 developer platform? Are there things that are real showstoppers for you now or areas where you'd like, like make more clarity that could help you with the journey you're on there with Gazoo? I'm the you know technology guy, so road roadmap conversations are always. If my if my business partner, who's a sales guy, I was on here, he'd, he'd you know 
be talking to you about Biff and you know co co marketing funds and all this other stuff. And that and that stuff's all great. That ultimately comes from success uh, with customers and partners in the field. But from a product and kind of technology perspective, more information on roadmap, particularly around Power Apps, um, the mm-hmm. Power Platform. Right? We've we've made big investments in in our ability to author those, knowing what's coming, not only from a new feature perspective, but what new APIs are coming, what new capabilities can we ex- exploit to create a more frictionless kind of conversion for the customer, right? So they just come into our experience or maybe through an add-in and into the Power Platform, a couple clicks and they've got you know a Power App from a, an old PDF or, or an InfoPath form versus, right. hey, come into our product, sign up, um, you know, click, 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 download the MS app that we just built, upload it into the Maker app. It's It still works, but it's not as seamless as it could be. So th- those types of conversations, right? And I, I think w- what we found, like if I go back in, in time, you know, to, to, my, to my storage point days, we had a lot of good conversations with folks within the SharePoint team that were beneficial to both sides, right? They learned right. things about how we were using the, the technology and more importantly, how our customers wanted to use the technology that I that led to you know changes to the to, to the way it was in the product and particularly had made some uh, I think influenced some decisions around RBS. You know, the reason we run a graph technology adoption program is the same thing. Like we see our ISV partners as that scale engine for us to t- reach to what right. customers are doing because there's only so much that we can do in this space with the amount of PMs that we have internally talking right. directly. And so, yeah, I agree. I will definitely find out a little bit more about what is going on on that side of the fence. And, you know, it is literally a side of the fence in the sense that Microsoft's so big that, although I, I do hear they're moving onto campus as well. So we'll see. That might make them, make us all closer in Redmond. What's the best way if someone wanted to go in? Like you have that evaluation. Where can they go to go try that evaluation? If they've got InfoPath or as you said, like a whole heap of, PDF forms that they want to convert, where can they go to, to run that tool? Formulator.kudzusoftware.com. So it's own site. Um, you can just request a download. It's uh, it's actually, we had a lot of fun building it. We didn't want to just build like the, you know, your standard old WinForm app. We actually did it in .NET Maui. It's a .NET Maui Blazor app. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It was, it was a bit of a wow because we were like, you know, still. That's, a, that's the CTU in there wanting to play with the new stuff. Exactly. <laughs> Because we were saying, oh, we can do this as a win format. Now let's have fun with it. You know, it, it work. It, it works great. Um, looks good. It, it works well. Just easy. Download it. Connect to your on-premises or cloud-based SharePoint instance. Click a few buttons, and it just walk away from it. And it, it's pretty quick. We had a we had a large uh, customer actually scan about four hundred thousand sites in three hours. Yeah. Wow. It cooks. R- ripping through those SharePoint REST APIs right there. Yeah, we are. You know, and we, but we're, we're we're responsible. We've got little we've got, <laughs> we've got controls in there that if we get the was it 429 the the too many requests we we slow it down and you know we actually take the foot off the gas a little bit because it, it dynamically it'll it'll actually spin up additional workers to scan more sites and then if it starts if we start getting those 429s we throttle it back and start slowing it down again. It's actually fairly sophisticated for just you, you think it's a free little thing that's going to scan your share, SharePoint instance. We actually, you could argue, maybe over-engineered it a little bit, but we had we were having too much fun with it. So we, we kind of went for it. 
but free download, it's a great place to start because it gives you, it, it's going to give you a very good sense, not only of the, the, the scope of your effort, but the complexity of your effort. And, and for those listening that probably can't get my accent at all in pronunciation of this name, Kudzu is spelled K-U-D-Z-U. It's Kudzu, Kudzu. It's either one. Call it whatever you want, actually. Just buy, just buy our stuff. <laughs> yeah, so it doesn't matter how I pronounce it, just purchase yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, look, I appreciate you coming on and I appreciate you being so open uh, with uh, your journey there and sharing some of the learnings you've had. These episodes have been super useful to other partners, so thank you for... Yeah. For sharing as part of this community well, and, uh, I appreciate you having me on. wish you all the luck with this it's a very very smart product and i love the the fact that you've not just focused on like that point solution of info path too and thinking about other ecosystem partners in this space and the pdf side of it it's very very clever i love seeing these kind of things it was great catching up with you and seeing you again soon soon we'll get back to face to face so this industry needs a little bit of a, a pause in budgets for travel before we get there but um yeah i'm looking forward to getting out there and speaking to partners in person again i appreciate it thanks jeremy take care thanks for listening to the microsoft 365 developer podcast Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.M365DevPodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. 